Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And this is John Carter. Yep. We, we just finished it. What do you think? I don't, I don't know. It didn't seem... Like, because of all, like, the negativity around it, around it, I wanted it to be either really bad or really good, and it was just, it just was. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, it was entertaining. I, it was shot for 3D. It was intended to be watched in 3D. We watched it just, you know, like, on a regular 2D TV, um... But you, it still felt very uh, like the the depth of it was amazing. I thought, like I, I'm sure, it obviously, it would be enhanced if we were actually watching it in 3D. But like, right. I almost feel like, like to an extent, we didn't even need that. Like the visuals were amazing. No, yeah, I mean, it looks really, really good. Um. <laughs> yeah, what to say about John Carter? I don't know. <laughs> Quite a cast, eh? John Favreau, David Schwimmer, yeah, Willem <laughs> Dafoe, and uh... we don't know who they were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who uh, else? Um, there's somebody else. Well, Samantha Morton was in it. Who uh... was she? The main uh, what were they called? Thr- thralls. That was a big problem Thrall? in the movie. Yeah, we couldn't understand like what they were saying when they were speaking their Martian words. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she was the main female right, yeah. green guy, green, green, green gal, Martian. And, um, and I love Samantha Morton and, um, I didn't know going in that I wouldn't be seeing her with, but it's still cool to hear her, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I thought that the, uh, the motion capture performances of those characters were really good. Mm. Um, they looked really, really well done, you know. I mean, they were uh, everything. Everything looked really good. <laughs> yep, it looked really, really good. It's funny when it started. Um, the the very first scene that in the movie is this um, almost like a it's like a it's like a battle between two ships, but the way that it is is almost like a pirate kind of thing where they're like yeah. you know get alongside the other ship and they're like fire and they fire the cannons and they have like the big wheel that they're steering with and stuff and uh i was like oh boy it's just like cutthroat island you know we're back i was a little wary about that yeah Yeah, but luckily and thankfully it it didn't really go like that it certainly is no cutthroat island no definitely not that in and of itself is is uh should be praise enough for anything <laughs> um but no i i mean i enjoyed it i thought it was i thought it was good i mean it does it is pretty long you know it is it is over two hours right yeah um i mean not much over two hours like two hours and like 12 minutes or something like that and um but i mean it is like and like epic in scope and stuff mm-hmm. and, and it does a good job of like moving the the pace along really well moving the plot along there's not a lot of downtime no there isn't um there there's a, a couple times like in the middle that seemed to drag but it never really uh felt like oh 
come on, get to the you know, get to the next scene. Let's keep it moving, you know. Um, and I liked how it wasn't just it wasn't just an action spectacle, you know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like a lot of mindless stuff. Did you ever see Cowboys and Aliens? No. I saw it uh, in the drive-in. The movie reminded me a lot of that, actually. Because, well, I mean, this movie basically starts as a, as a Western. And then ha- they discover, like, you know, the ancient alien relics. And then John Carter's transported to Mars, obviously. But um, I think this was much more entertaining than, than Cowboys and Aliens. Um, they should put that on the box. Which, oddly enough, you mentioned that John Favreau was once attached to direct John Carter. He directed Cowboys and Aliens. Which was another bomb, I believe. Yeah, it? I remember reading it on, on that list of uh, of the top. And it was, it was one of several films that... Uh, like people were like, oh, you know, they they gotta stop making these big budget westerns because all these westerns are bombing, and that was like included with that, like in like the Lone Ranger and Jonah Hex. But those are, yeah, they're not. I mean, they're westerns, <laughs> but they're like westerns with a twist. I think just every few years, there's a movie that could be classified as a western that's very successful. And then all of a sudden everybody gets all excited and says, the Western is back. Yeah, like True Grit, the, the remake of True Grit. Yeah, and then like a few years before that, Brokeback Mountain, like um, th- years before that, Unforgiven. Right. Which at this point is like 22 years ago. But There there were there was like um, 310 to Yuma and uh, the assassination of Jesse James. Uh, there was like a Ron Howard one, I think. <laughs> there was Tombstone. Can't forget Tombstone. Um, where was I going with that? I should I should point out to our listeners that it's it's nine oh eight p.m. at the moment, and I woke up at three a.m. today, so I'll be drifting in and out of this <laughs> recording. <laughs> Why'd you do that, Tim? I don't know. I've I've it's been off for like a week now. Your sleep schedule? Yeah, it happens to me every once in a while. It's kind of annoying. Yeah. But, um, well, hopefully we'll we'll keep this, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll relatively quick. Well, I mean, it's okay if we go late. I just uh, I just want to try and stay coherent. Mm-hmm. I like that part <laughs> where John Carter was on Mars. That was a really good part. I did like the part where uh, he was. There was like <laughs> it was one of the fight scenes, and I can't even place it plot wise in the movie. And we just watched it. Where you know he goes charging in and he's like right. it's just him fighting them all off. But instead of this big bombastic action sequence, yeah. the music is very like slow and dramatic. The music takes over. It, There's no sound effect. The sound effects kind of fade away and the music right. takes over. And then we intercut with uh, flashbacks and like it's. Mm-hmm. I, I I liked that sense of like. It it wasn't like they weren't using action for spectacle. Exactly, they were using yeah. it to tie in with to tell the story. And yeah, and plot along. Yeah, no, I I really liked that scene a lot. Um, I thought you know it with that kind of thing like it it can feel kind of sappy, mm. and especially if you have no investment in <laughs> in the characters. Yeah, seeing that can feel very like you know 
overly dramatic. But um, I was invested enough to the point where like I, I went along with it, and I was like, yeah, this is this is cool, and and yeah, I like how it wasn't just like, all right, we're gonna watch this like you know, five to ten minute scene of him just taking out everybody mm. and like you know. And the flashbacks, it was such like uh, economical storytelling. Definitely, it was like a John Ford film, just like just a few images, and you get as much out of those few images as you can. Mm-hmm. And and you get what's you get what's happening. My cat Felice wants to join in. She's currently hunting a mouse. Uh, that has been roaming our apartment. She was actually fighting it off in the living room as we were watching John Carter. Yeah. Um, but the mouse got away. It went hidden in the closet. Not in here. It's not. It's not in here. Here she goes. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I thought, like, like, and especially in a movie like this where there's, like, a lot, you're building a whole world, you know? Mm. There's a lot of um, backstory to tell, just in part of, like, you know, and a lot of, of pseudoscience to explain um, and introduce, introducing so many different kinds of characters and understanding the relationship between, like, you know, there are essentially kind of three tribes at war here um or three factions on the planet but they explain it all pretty well um where there aren't just like these long sort of dialogue heavy scenes where it's like just telling you what everything is like they do a good job of introducing the world like um slowly enough and like you say economically Mm. really well one thing the um that opening sequence reminded me of uh like when it shows like the battle before i mean like there's this there's like a, a prologue sort of and then it goes to like edgar rice burroughs going to like john carter's grave and stuff like that right. and then it gets into the actual story when he starts reading the uh, diary um but like the prologue remind like there seems to be and me, I, I don't watch that many recent films, um, but like based on the ones I've been watching recently, it almost seems like maybe it's like a new trend where it, it reminds me of um, like these cartoon shows from like the 70s and 80s where they would have like a like a, an action scene at the beginning, mm-hmm. for like from the middle of the story. And then like it would then they'd have like the main titles of the show or whatever and then it would go into the story and then the action scene would be like in the story again later i don't know if you know what i'm talking about. yeah <laughs> like, I, th- I think i i understand what you're saying because like i the other day i went to see um what is it? i saw american hustle which starts off with a scene that they return to like an hour later mm. and i also saw 12 years a slave which starts off like in the middle of the story and then the story starts over and then you get to that scene like an hour later <laughs> and I don't know. Well, John Carter, the, the beginning was interesting because you essentially have three different entry points that they, yeah. that they bring you on. There's the first sort of introduction. To, we introduce Mars first. Right. And there's this event that happens... Uh, I guess it's before everything else that happens where right. the, where the 
uh, enemy general gets the uh, you know the fancy schmancy blue light arm thing, and then we jump forward in time to when John Carter dies and uh, quote unquote dies. I like that you do the air quotes when <laughs> I know I have to remind myself that uh, you can't see me. Um, and then we flash back from that point to when he's uh, when he goes to Mars. Um, and I wondered, I I wonder what if if it could have been done better. Like, what a better way to maybe introduce everything? Because I didn't, I wasn't really, I didn't really like the the very op- the early opening scene on Mars. It didn't get me like excited about the movie. Well, I mean, maybe it was the cutthroat. I was sensing, the, you know, until that, of cutthroat island. That the opening narration and that great tracking zoom shot or whatever. It's like over the um, landscape. Yeah, that was amazing. But then once they got into that opening fight, right. then it was sort of like, well, and it just seemed almost awkward and like it felt like something that they shot like at the end of the whole production or something. Or it like felt like, oh, we need some action up front. Like, yeah, it's so too like, slow you know, at the beginning. Well, let's quickly shoot this thing. It felt like something tacked on. Yeah. Um, I, I think we could have returned to... What, after the character of Edgar Rice Burroughs starts, like, reading about John Carter... Mm-hmm. Like in between that and the end, he, we never see him again. Yeah, like maybe like every like few minutes, like the never-ending story. He, yeah, <laughs> yes. Or he, I feel like where we're cutting to him reading long, and he's like, "No, John Carter, don't go in there." <laughs> I feel like, like all thunder movie, and lightning outside. <laughs> all movies that involve a character reading the story should we need use the never-ending story that they're who's actually reading it. At least if the if the character reading it is to return at the end of the story mm-hmm. in like a very pivotal way, right? Then yeah, maybe like get us a little invested in him too, because then at the end he's just like, it's almost like oh we're supposed to care about this guy now. And I haven't read the book that it's based on. Um, Neither have I. Up, it's called A Princess of Mars, um, and it was published in 1917, which. Uh, it's crazy. Um, I like old sci-fi. I'll have to... I mean, and this movie got me interested enough to want to check out the, the book series. There are like 11 books in the in the, in the series. I had one growing Burrow. up. I never read it. I think it was called... I think it was called John Carter of Mars. I don't know which number in the I series. I just looked on, on Wikipedia and John Carter of Mars is the, is the last. And I think oh. it's like a collection of short stories. Okay. Um, but I don't. I'm not an expert. I just quickly glanced over the Wikipedia page. I never, um, like, growing up, I always got a lot of sci-fi books, but I didn't read many of them. Mm. And I wasn't a, like, I, I don't know. I think I think it was the science of of it that I couldn't really get into. Um, like some of the, I mean, like. I don't know. I like something like Jules Verne and H.G. Wells. Um, I don't know. I just never really got into it that much. Yeah, my uh, my earliest memory of reading a a sci-fi book is, uh, I mean, I 
I don't know if you'd really classify it as sci- science fiction. Mm. I mean, it is science fiction. Um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah. Uh, by Jules Verne. I had a, uh, like an illustrated book. It was like um, an abridged version. It was aimed at like a, like a child, right. like a child reader. Um, it was like an abridged version um, with like drawings. Uh, it's probably about like 200 pages or something like that. Was it like a tiny like square book sort of? No, it was like, like it was kind of it was kind of big actually. Oh, okay. All right. Um but I read that and I that I really uh, loved that book. And that got me into other Jules Verne stuff and then into like H.G. Wells. And then in school you read like Ray Bradbury. Right. And uh I I always really liked reading all that. And uh, yeah, and then I got into like Isaac Asimov. Um, I've read a good amount of, of of his stuff, like the Foundation series, iRobot. I don't think I've ever read any of his stuff. I have a few of his books, and I just never got around to reading them. I've got um, quite a big Asimov collection up there, actually. Because um, at the uh, Crandall Library book sales, I usually just snag. Whichever. but it gets I mean he's he wrote like so many books like unbelievable amount of books that it's impossible for me to re- even remember like which ones I have and which ones I don't have and especially with books that have been reprinted over and over again you like find them and with like a different cover and you're like wait a minute what? like you know, he's got like the robot series mm. um and it's just like all these kind of all these names with like robot in the title and you're like do i have this one or don't i have this one like which one is this like i don't remember is this like what order do these go in you know and then he ties the robot series to the foundation series and then i don't know you're like what order do i read these in? it's crazy but, are, you, are you excited about the book sale coming up yeah when is that it's february 7th okay i thought maybe it was the second but no yeah i, I always look forward to those it's kate's birthday Oh, happy birthday, Kate. I doubt she's listening, but if you are, happy birthday. Colin, tell Kate happy birthday for us. Yeah, we know you're <laughs> listening, Colin. <laughs> um, it's weird to think that like we're <laughs> kind of just talking to Colin right now. <laughs> he might as well just be here, you know? <laughs> we'll have him as a guest sometime. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> you were talking about the the narrative and how where we never see Edgar Rice Burroughs until the end right. and I was just wondering like if that was a structure that was because I imagine in the well in the book it must be all written from the perspective of John Carter I guess well I think Edgar Rice Burroughs is like like he's in the book as him like Right, so I think he, John Carter, the character John Carter, is supposed to be his uncle, like even right. in the books. Right. So I'm wondering, just like, but like, does the book sort of start with like, is is the book that we're you're reading is that the document that John Carter left Edgar Rice Burroughs and he's just kind of like reprinting it, or is Edgar Rice Burroughs telling us the reader the story that he heard from his uncle? I don't know. It might do that thing like, um, uh, like, like Lost Horizon or Heart of Darkness or, um, 
what's the Gulliver's Travels where it's like somebody like there's like a little there's an introduction where it's saying like oh like this story was told to me or like I got right. this manuscript and yeah. and like that's like Grace Burroughs and then it just goes into like from John Carter's perspective but I mean like we, we could easily just look this up right now <laughs> instead of just being like oh it could be this I don't know well, let's just speculate it's more fun. <sighs> I mean it's and 2014 it's such... <laughs> we don't need to speculate <laughs> That book was written nearly a hundred years ago. In five years, it'll be a hundred, or no, it was nineteen seventeen. So in three years, it'll be a hundred years old. That is crazy. It'll be the hundredth anniversary of the Russian Revolution, well, the Soviet Revolution, I should say. But it's just wild to think that, like, if Edgar Rice Burroughs could see the movie John Carter, like, if you somehow brought it back in time and like showed it to him. He would have crapped his pants. <laughs> he would have been like, "My book is real." You know how? Like what? I mean that that was still in the time when people were like, you know, when when films or movies were st- still kind of a novelty. Well, well by nineteen well, no, seventeen, you know, I mean that was already that you've had like fifteen years at least to. You already had like v- Victor Showstrom and D.W. Griffith and. Mm. People weren't still cowering in the theaters as a train was coming towards them. (laughs) That's true. But still, you show them John Carter. Yeah, no, that would (laughs) blow anything away from 1917. I mean, that would just... People wouldn't even... I mean, they haven't seen a color film, first of all. Or or a film with sound, even. I mean, not sound on... They had the... They'd been experimenting in both those things, but I mean, general audiences right. haven't hadn't seen that kind of thing. Um, I mean, the characters that like it's funny how we we live in an age where it's like you can look at like, you know, we know that they're computer generated aliens, yeah. But I mean, they look <laughs> so well, you know, and we kind of take it for granted, and we're just like, yeah, you know, they look good. But it's like, holy shit, man! You show that to someone who has no you know, uh, touchstone for it. They have no idea what, how it even happened. And it's like, that looks fucking real. It's like that. Those aliens are, are totally real. <laughs> and we're just in an age where it's like, yeah, the CG sucked, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like terrible. When you think 20 years ago, the dinosaurs in Jurassic park, like, you know, recently I saw some clips and like it still looks really good, but mm-hmm. it's not like when I was like a kid seeing it in theaters and I was just like, holy crap, they're real dinosaurs because yeah. it was like so good for that time. So you imagine like if you were to show that to somebody like 60 years earlier, like it just. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, you show Jurassic Park to people who back then, like in 1917, like people didn't even have like an, a clear understanding of what a dinosaur was even yeah because when fantasia came out in 1941 there's that whole uh animated dinosaur segment mm. and it, it starts with like an explanation on screen like you know 65 million years ago there were these things called dinosaurs and they roamed the earth and like we know this because of you know fossils and stuff here's what they might have looked like and that was the first time that a lot of people actually saw like a uh a representation of what a dinosaur might well have like. king kong oh the that's dinos- true that's and true. uh the lost world yeah that is true i forgot about those 
but I, I heard that. the dinosaur. I heard that from somewhere. I guess maybe it was just full of shit. Maybe they were more scientifically accurate. I don't know. Because, I mean, the ones in The Lost World and King Kong that Willis O'Brien built, he, I, I mean, he, I'm sure he tried to make them, like, accurate, but he was mostly building them to, like, match up to things and, like. But, I mean, as we've found in even recent time, even since Jurassic Park, we've come to know that, like, some of those dinosaurs didn't even exist the way that they appear on mm. screen in, in Jurassic Park. Like, velociraptors, they're like, well... You know, they probably had feathers. And, like, bron- brontosaurus isn't even a real dinosaur. What? Yeah. Brontosaur- what? Brontosaurus never... That's, like, one of the big Yeah, that's dinosaurs. one of the big ones. It doesn't... Yeah, they, they found out that, like, the bones that they had been piecing together to make brontosauruses are actually from, like, two or maybe three. I'm not exactly sure. But, like, they're it's a hodgepodge of different dinosaurs that they had thought were of one species. The Brachiosaurus is, I believe an actual dinosaur, which is basically like a brontosaurus. That's like when, when you find out Pluto is not a planet, that's just, wow. Well, (laughs) it's different because Pluto, I mean, that's just a bunch of people saying like, you know, well, we we're discovering all these other things that are kind of like Pluto but they're not really planets. Pluto actually fits more in with those than they do with like the other planets. So we should reclassify Pluto as being one of these other things. These, uh, I forget what they're called, like micro, uh, micro planets, just like other celestial bodies that are kind of like too small to be a planet. They basically just reclassified what a planet, what it means to be a planet. With the brontosaurus, it's like, they just had a pile of bones and they put it together like you know a jigsaw puzzle and then realized that like they were looking at the wrong box and like oh shit like these puzzle pieces aren't even supposed to go to this puzzle like you gotta separate them but yeah uh, we're talking about dinosaurs now (laughs) um but yeah i mean i think it's it is funny thinking about like showing modern day movies to an older audience and it makes you wonder, like, in a hundred years, what films look like, or what they, what they will look like in a hundred years. Like, if we saw it, would our heads explode? Would our faces melt off? Like in Indiana Jones? <laughs> <sighs> yes, probably. The Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> That's actually what was in the Ark. Just, like, films from the future. <laughs> It was Avatar. (laughs) It was John Carter. (laughs) Take that Nazi swine. They open it up and there's that CG dog creature that's just like, ha, 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 ha. That thing was adorable. Yeah. I want one. And it just, it runs really fast for some reason. I kept expecting it to just get sad or something. Like I thought that dog was going to. Going to die? Yeah. Maybe in one of the other books. Maybe it wasn't even in any of the books. Maybe <laughs> yeah. they were like, we need some cute stuff in this movie. Something that, for yeah. the kids. <laughs> I make Pixar movies, damn it. We need some cutesiness. Yeah, the director, Andrew Stanton, um, came from Pixar. He wrote and directed a number of those films. And this was actually his first 
live action movie. Um, and there are certain things in this that like I can see some of that Pixar kind of influence coming through in the storytelling. Um, like that, like the, that battle scene we were talking about with the flashback, like that feels like something that I don't know. It's it's smart storytelling in the way that Pixar is is usually really good at doing it telling. Um, and some of the humor, which it had some some humorous bits, more so towards the beginning. Like I was really on board with the movie um, through that whole opening sort of like western segment. I was really Brian Cranston. I was really digging. Yeah, Brian Cranston yeah. had a had a fun role. Um, I was really digging all that. Yeah. Um, and even like on Mars when he's like trying to like, you know, get used to the gravity on, on Mars and realize that he's like really light. Um, and all the dealings with this like, you know, Martian tribe. I thought was like, I was, re- I was really digging, digging it. Um, I think about the time when like the, the princess and John Carter actually like meet and mm. start going on their sort of like quest that's when things started to like feel a little a little draggy but it's not like the 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 actress i don't know what her name is who played the the princess like i thought she she did she was really good um and i was i enjoyed like uh even her introduction scene back in the city of helium <laughs> which is funny it it reminds me of um and this movie actually i wonder how much this the, the book series had an influence on jerry siegel and joe schuster mm. the two creators of superman how much this book series had an influence on them oh yeah cuz because, because like, um when superman is on earth he has superpowers because because of the gravity of the because of the difference yeah, in gravity and, then... and, and gravity and that you know him being able to leap tall buildings in a single bound originally superman didn't fly he he was just appeared super strong and super fast and was able to jump really high because Krypton was heavier or <laughs> he was heavier on Krypton um, because it had a uh, stronger gravitational pull than Earth and there's the fact that like there's a city called Helium in uh, in John Carter and the planet Krypton is Krypton is also one of the elements on the periodic table so i they must have been it must have been an influence yeah yeah. but i liked that that was one thing that i really liked about the movie is how john carter basically becomes superman um but like that old school superman and i realized like man i'd love to see a superman movie that like takes place in like 1939 and basically like do like do a superman movie that's like old school golden age superman just in the way that he like you know looked and and the way his powers worked and everything and just like i don't know kind of try to create the uh the feeling of the time it could be really cool i don't think it's ever gonna happen nope probably not (laughs) (laughs) but this movie kind of made me want to want to see that imagine if back in like 1940 they were like oh there's this new popular character you know, called Superman. Like, if they had, like, the technology that we have today to make a movie, like Man of Steel, for instance. But there's, like, this new character, and they're like, oh, we're going to adapt it for for a movie. 
I don't know where I'm going with this sort of fantastic say, idea, like this if, wild idea. If they had the technology back then, that might be interesting. <laughs> but like, as far as what they did do, right? Because they then, did make movie like, serials. I didn't see this the original Superman uh, with uh, Kirk Allen, but mm-hmm. I, I did see the Batman uh, serials, right? And they are su- which are horrible. Lacking. It's well, like wh- not horrible, but it's like. <laughs> They do almost no justice to the. Characters. It reminds me of well, it's like and like the Dick Tracy movies in the forties. It's like you have this really, like, you have so many options of things to do with these characters that are provided for you by like the creators. Like you don't really have to be very creative with the movie. You just take what's already there and like make a story. And they just don't. They yeah. just throw them into like gangster things and. Uh, like Japanese spy ring things, like, and you can know. tell that the budget, I, like I've, yeah. I've, I haven't, I also haven't seen the Superman stuff, but I've seen some of the Batman ones, yeah. And you can tell that the budget is like dirt cheap, yeah. like really small, even by like nineteen, you know, thirty standards or whatever, or forties, because um, like the Batman costume just looks terrible, <laughs> and like Robin just has like you know like the worst looking mask, and it's just like it's awful. Yeah. But I remember I watched a um a documentary about Bob Kane, the um creator of Batman, and he had seen the Superman serials, and apparently those were more popular, and they were probably better. And he was excited to see what they were going to... And then they were like, oh, we're going to do Batman next. And he was, like, really excited. And then when he saw the Batman ones, he was like, oh, that's... that's It's not like the Superman ones. So apparently the Superman ones are better. Um, what, what I don't get about that also is, like... <clears throat> all right, the Superman TV show with George Reeves in, in the 50s. Have you, you've, have you watched it? Only, like, a couple... Like I've seen, like, one episode, I think, maybe. It... It's such a waste of everything. Yeah. Like, I liked it when I was a kid. I don't know if I would like it now. But, like, looking back, it's like, he didn't really do anything super. super yeah, yeah. Or, like, he did, but there were there were no super villains. There were just villains. There were just, oh, he, he's going to get some bad guys. There were no, like... Well... None of the villains had superpowers. There wasn't anything... Part of the... Uh, that, that kind of is part of the time, though. The George Reeves... Um, series that was done in the 50s yeah um was that like early 50s you know or like uh yeah i'm not sure when it ended but it was in the early 50s superman had probably been around for they had probably had like the first like 12 to 15 years mm. worth of superman stories to sort of like pull from i mean back then like that's basically what the comics like mostly dealt with were like Superman breaking up a gang or, you know, doing everyday kind of stuff, not really fighting like giant robots or, you know, there were, there were a lot of stories even in the comics that didn't really like go to many fanciful places. And when you have the budget that they probably had, they were like, well, you know, what what are we gonna do? Well, you look at the, like the Fleischer cartoons, and those are awesome. Yeah. Um. Those are gorgeous. Yeah. The, the, uh, the even today, right like they just look fantastic. Um. Last I knew, they were there was a series of them on Netflix. Um. I watched those not too long ago. Um. 
I think they're also mostly in the public domains. So they're probably even on YouTube. Yeah, I actually have a. Um, I think I've got a DVD of, uh, of a bunch of them. Um, yeah, those are really cool. It makes me wonder, like, I, uh, as far as I know, this was the first adaptation of the John Carter Mars, the Martian series. I don't know if it was That's ever odd. adapted before. But like I said, like it's nearly a hundred years old. Like you would think that, like at some point, somewhere in that time, it would have been adapted. Because even just watching this movie, I mean, I enjoyed it, and I think like most of my enjoyment came from. I mean, it, it is a good story. Like it's a in a, a cool world, and uh, with some good characters. It's just a, it's a classic tale, you know, the guy saving the princess, uniting a kingdom, sort of you know, out of his element uh, in a different land and all that stuff. Um, it seems like the kind of thing that would have been adapted, like, sometime in, like, the 70s, you know? Like, after Star Wars had, like, hit big. Especially, like, these are stories from the same guy who wrote the Tarzan stories and Tarzan, and Tarzan was made a fucking of huge like yeah so like adapted so many times I'm looking on Wikipedia just to see like his appearances in other media and it says that yeah there was um, there was a 2009 movie Princess of Mars a 2009 movie which starred oh Tracy Lords was in it Wait a minute. She's a porn star, right? No, no, no. Don't go pigeonholing her. In the 80s, she did a lot of porn. She was under 18. She was with people who were bad influences on her. She got out of that world. And she hasn't uh, She hasn't looked back, so shame on you, Max. Well, then she was a porn star. Yes. <laughs> In the 80s. Well... <laughs> I mean, but anyway, yeah, so that there was that movie and then three years later, John Carter and that was it. So wait a minute. Like what, what's this 2009 movie all about? I don't know. Um, it was a direct to DVD science fiction film made by the asylum. Do you know the asylum? Are they like a, like a bargain bin movie manufacturer production company? They're the ones, I believe they're the ones who make the movies that like have the similar titles to, yeah, the mockbusters. Right. Okay. They try to cash in on uh, like big films that are coming out, just see if people like get confused. Yeah. So like, oh, they're making, you know, Marvel is making Thor. They're like, well, we're making a movie called Thor. So they make a, you know, they make a movie called like the hammer of Thor. And since, you know, Thor is like a public domain character. Yeah, they did... Uh, you can do that. They did Snakes on a Train. Uh, they did um, AVH, Alien vs. Hunter, as opposed to AVP, Predator. Alien vs. Predator. Transmorphers, around oh the time of Transformers. And these aren't, like... But they're not, like, comedy spoofs. 30,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, brother. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're not just... comedy spoofs. They're just, like, really cheap knockoff movies that their only hope is just like put them in dvd stores and hopefully like parents when they're like 
oh, I think my son really likes that Thor in the theater. Yeah. They're like, oh, here's a Thor movie on DVD. I think he'll love this. And then the kid watches it and has a very sad birthday. They did War of the Worlds 2. They did The Day the Earth Stopped. Not The Day the Earth Stood Still. Did they, the did Day they... the Earth Stopped. <laughs> did they do Titanic 2? I'm not sure if that was them. Did you watch that with us when we watched no. it? No. Oh, man. I don't see it on the. Uh, if you're looking for a weird here. time, watch Titanic 2. They did do, um, around the time of High School Musical, they did Sunday School Musical. <laughs> Sunday? Oh. <laughs> That's awful. Isn't Sunday School already kind of like a musical? <laughs> oh, they did I Am Omega around the time that I Am Legend came out. <laughs> because I Am Legend is based on Omega Man. Wow. So, they're, I mean, they're just completely shameless. They Which no- is actually, like, I'm, <laughs> I like that almost. I like that they're shameless in that way. Like, I don't really want to watch any of those movies, but, like, I like that, like, mm-hmm. someone's out there making money doing that. <laughs> Like the old like carnival huckster type <laughs> ideal. I don't know. Um, but anyway, that list I was looking at of like other times uh, it's been in. Well, there's really just the two films, Princess of Mars, which came out when they finished. I'm sure that was made to cash in on John Carter. Right. But John Carter was held back from release for two years. So... That might be what happened so there. The, the movie was made and it was like pretty much done and it was shelved for two years. And I'm wondering if that maybe they were working on post production, which, but I'm sure, I mean, two years. That's my suspicion. Something was and it's something that we touched on, I think, in one of the previous episodes when we were looking at the list of the biggest box office bombs. Yeah. Number one, if you, you're not counting it, you're not changing anything from for inflation. Number one on that list, the biggest bomb of all time is Mars Needs Moms. Right. And I think that came out in 2009. Maybe. I don't know off the top of my head. But it came out sometime uh, around there. Oh, that's right. And Mars. And I bet that the stu- like that bombed huge, <clears throat> lost billions of dollars. Not billions. Lost millions of dollars. And... Uh, they were like, "Holy shit, Mars! <laughs> Aban- like a retreat, abandon the the mission to Mars because Mars is uh, no good." And I think at that time, John Carter was actually called John Carter of Mars, and they dropped Mars right out of the title because they were afraid of the the negative association there, which to me just seems really stupid. Yeah. Because it's like, are you really thinking that, like, you know, oh, people didn't go see Mars Needs Moms. They're not going to go see John Carter of Mars. I mean, I guess people didn't go see either of them either way. But um, th- I think, like, they're they're trying to distance themselves from that sci-fi element. Like, I remember watching the, the, the trailers. And, like, in the trailer, they don't tell you that, like, John Carter is from Earth that he's on mars that he you know is from the old west like i didn't know that like for all you know like he's just like you don't know if he's going if he's going to the future if he's like you know you don't know what the story is at all like they don't like do a good job of of showing that i think uh i I would bet like that there's someone out there on uh 
on YouTube who like made a really sort of like a fan made trailer for the movie because I bet you can make a trailer that's like really that, that looks awesome from this movie because there's a lot of awesome things in the movie and it really uh, it's a shame that that it didn't perform as well as uh, as it did I mean and I after watching the movie I understand more why Disney spent the millions of dollars that they did on promoting it because apparently that was like part of why the movie failed so hard or bombed was because outside of just the budget they spent millions of extra dollars to promote it because they were like they realized that it didn't have the awareness that it needed and I can see them just like looking at the movie and being like this is a good movie you know people should see this and being like if we push it hard enough like we can get and get some positive buzz like we can sell this movie to people um i totally understand that line of thinking because i it is a good movie you know no matter how no matter how you slice it like it's a good movie it's at least entertaining which is more than what you can say for some cutthroat island cutthroat island god damn it i'm just i'm just glad that we didn't have to sit through two hours of another experience like that yeah and this is nothing like that at all like it really is like okay i'm i can enjoy this and like how would you place the four films we've watched this month in order from from uh from worst to best worst to best well worst i mean hands down is cutthroat island (laughs) right i agree (laughs) there's nothing of value there um Next, I would say The Bluebird, because it's just really, uh, it's, a, it's a sad, it's a sad affair, <laughs> you know, like it's trying to do this thing and it's just like, you can tell they spent a lot of money, but like, you just don't know where all the money went. Mm. It's really a weird movie. And then Pluto Nash. and it's, that's not it's not it's not a great movie it's hard it's, it's hard a to good e- time it's hard to even say that it's a good movie it's like it's an okay it's like an all, it's all right yeah it's got some weird things in it and uh <laughs> randy quaid yeah but you know i mean it's it is what it is and like i think that's all you can expect from a movie like that and then i think john carter was the best out of the four hands down I think I'd agree with that. I might switch Pluto Nash and the Bluebird, but they're very close. Yeah, like, I mean, because they're like, I mean, the Bluebird has this um, this classic kind of feeling going for it, which just like on a pure purely aesthetic level is like these. It's aesthetically, it's more pleasing than Pluto Nash. <laughs> like Pluto Nash is just like, ugh. like I can see myself maybe watching the Bluebird again somewhere down the road <laughs> if you have kids you show to them at christmas <laughs> no i'm not showing that to my children <laughs> i'm gonna give that to uh matt hawk and jenny as the <laughs> as, as a children's gift when i was five years old my uncle Emil gave me um a vhs of the mexican santa claus wow and like that's a young age to watch something that fucked up <laughs> 
And I didn't get that it was fucked up when I was little. I just thought, like, this is a Christmas movie. <laughs> Yay. And I watched it all the time, and my parents are probably like, oh, my God. <laughs> that is so weird. I w- when I was a kid, I was actually uh, afraid of Santa Claus. To the point where on Christmas Eve, I would be, like, nearly throwing up in the bathroom, like, crying and nervous and scared because he was coming that night. Do you know what that came like where that came from? Um not really. No. I just think like when you think about it, like it is kind of creepy because there's this strange old man like coming into your house. Sometimes even like coming into your bedroom. Like I woke up one Christmas and I had a candy cane in my hand. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little bit, uh, yeah. And it freaked me out. I like. So I mean, maybe that was where where it came from. Just like the idea of like he was he was in this room with me. He he was looking at me while I was asleep. And it's like I wasn't like afraid of Santa to the like I enjoyed Christmas. I love Christmas. I've always loved Christmas. And I love Christmas movies. And I've always loved like the Rankin and Bass uh, Mm. Christmas specials. And like I love the character of Santa Claus. And I've always loved Santa Claus up until Christmas Eve. And then I would just be like, because then it suddenly became real. You know what I mean? Like until Christmas Eve, it's like he's a cartoon character. But on Christmas Eve, like he's coming into the house while you're asleep. And uh, that whole notion just really scared me. Um. <laughs> So I think watching Mexican Santa Claus, like having that image of Santa in my mind at that young of an age, like could have put me over the edge. Yeah, I could imagine. Like you watch that movie on Christmas Eve and you're like, all right, Santa's on his way. And you're like, no, I don't want that creepy old bastard. He's going to make me his slave. <laughs> all right, children, into the robot reindeer sleigh. Let's go to the moon. And- <laughs> <laughs> where you live forevermore <laughs> with the other children of the world singing me songs like Mary had a little lamb because you're from America and that's your theme song now put on this cowboy hat <laughs> yeah you know according to the president of Hollywood.com uh John Carter's bloated budget would have required it to generate worldwide ticket sales of more than $600 million to break even. Oh, Jesus. A height reached by only 63 films in the history of movie making. Yeah. I understand there was no segue whatsoever between Santa and that, but I just... I wanted to throw that in at some point, because that's just a ridiculous goal to set for... Yeah, I mean, that right, that, like that is just poor management it's not the movie's fault by any means and i and i would never blame like the filmmakers for that kind of outrageous expectation you know you can never bank on that on a movie being like as huge as as it's going to be it's you know it's a it's a real crapshoot of like what's going to stick with people what is going to be popular and like you know one year avatar makes a billion dollars the next year john carter is like you know down and out an avatar according to james cameron 
was heavily influenced by the John Carter novels. Well, you can definitely tell. I yeah, mean, it's as there was a list on the Wikipedia thing of like things that had been inspired by it. it included Superman, and, oh, okay, uh, Dune, and Star Wars, right. and Buck Rogers, and Flash Gordon, and the whole shebang. Yeah, I mean, I guess it uh, like just off the top of my head, it is like the earliest, like nineteen seventeen, the earliest story that I know of of like, you know here's this guy and he's suddenly thrown into you know a whole different sci-fi world with with crazy creatures and he's got to fight his way save you know the princess and you know unite the world and rescue a kingdom and all that kind of stuff and bringing it into that into that science fiction world i'm sure in like fantasy you know that had existed one missed opportunity that really pisses me off is um, Bob Clampett of uh, you know Looney Tunes fame. He wanted to do a feature-length animated film in the 30s based on the John Carter stories. How fucking amazing would that have been? Well, that's what I was going to say when I brought up like the Fleischer cartoons yeah. and was talking about like Superman and like and how just like wondering why this movie had never been like adapted before. Like, why not make this an animated movie or like an animated serial or something like that would have been awesome. I guess they didn't want to put the money into it. But also in the 30s, feature length animated films that you had Snow White was in 1937. Right. Um, the Fleischer Brothers did Gulliver's Travels and that came out in 39, but they actually started it before Snow White because hmm. animation took a long time back then. Right, right. So, like, you just had those two movies by the end of the 30s. I'm not sure when in the 30s Bob Clampett was proposing this at Warner Brothers. So. Like, well, why not do it as a serial, then? You know? I don't know. Would have been great. Man, I was in uh, Walmart earlier today. I bought a Blu-ray player. Um, but... What I was gonna say is I saw a DVD with uh, with the Looney Tunes, and it made me want to watch some Looney Tunes. Cause I haven't I haven't watched it in a long time, but man, I love Looney Tunes. I tend to only watch them now if uh, when I get a DVD from Warner Brothers and like as a special feature. Sometimes there's like right they have like there. yeah yeah. Um, I got a I got a Ronald Reagan box set. And um, some of those have... I haven't watched any of the special features yet, but there's some cartoons on there I'm looking forward to. Love me some Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I... Uh, like I just said, I bought a Blu-ray player today. Um, had never had much of a desire to get a Blu-ray player. Um partly because I was when Blu-ray came out like well there after like the whole format war between that and HD DVD I was waiting for that to settle down but then yeah. even after like Blu-ray came out on top I was just like you know how much longer is our Blu-rays even going to be like relevant you know um, and I was kind of just like well one day I'll get like a gaming console that has a Blu-ray player on it and I'll just wait till then um, but it's been many years since then and I haven't uh, done it 
And since then, and that's part of the reason why I stopped like collecting DVDs, I think, because it was like, well, why buy a DVD of something that's on Blu-ray when it's like, well, I'll get a Blu-ray player eventually. I just wait and get it on Blu-ray, you know, it's it's better. Um, But I finally took the plunge. Um, Yeah, Kayla and I split it, got the cheapest model we could find. Just, it's like the, just the standard, no frills, no Wi-Fi, none of that bullshit. Just like it, you put a disc in and it plays it, plays it. Um, yeah, so. I'm excited to, uh, watch me some, some movies on Blu-ray. Um. I didn't actually buy a Blu-ray when we bought the player. <laughs> so I actually only own one uh, Blu-ray. It's called When We Left Earth. It's a NASA documentary series documenting the, uh, the, the, the whole space exploration of, uh, in the 20th century. I bought it for my dad... For Christmas, um, I ordered the DVD version, and they sent the Blu-ray version. I was like, I emailed them back and was like, I ordered the DVD version. <laughs> like, give me the inferior version. Um, but I, it was like so cheap. It was like seven bucks, and I got the Blu-ray. And I just was, I found a DVD, another DVD copy online for like five dollars, and I ordered that. I was just like, I don't want to just, I don't know, it's too much effort to mail it out again yeah. and all that kind of shit. So it's just like, oh, I'll hang on to it. So that's the only Blu-ray that I have. Well, you can borrow some of mine. Because <laughs> you bought Blu-rays with, with the expectation of having yeah. a player and then never got one. I mean, a couple. I have Nashville and Life Force, which are Blu-ray DVD combos. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I also have 12 Anger Men, The Shawshank Redemption, and Jubal. I think is how you pronounce it. Um, yeah, you can borrow those if you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, I'm curious to see what some of those look like. What, like what older films look like on Blu-ray, especially Twelve know? Angry Men, which yeah. is such like a, a stark, like low-budget film. Yeah, you're and, pretty much just in that room, like yeah. And, and as a special feature, it has the original TV version of Twelve Angry Men. Hmm. And I'm curious to see what something shot for live television in the 50s looks like on Blu-ray. And you know, with Criterion, like, they do a really good job of, like, making everything look good. Like, even, you know, paying close attention to, like, special features like that. Yeah. But I feel like sometimes making it look really good might make it look really bad. In, in the sense of, like, restoring something, but I don't well, know. Well, I mean, with older films, like, I mean, it, it's shot on film. And film has a much higher resolution. Well, not the TV. Like, not the TV uh, version, right. right. That, that's, that's what I mean. Okay. I mean, I'm sure that the, the I doubt shot that on that was film, probably, but... uh, I doubt that that was, like, remastered and restored or, I don't know. But, um, yeah. like I said, Criterion, you know, they, they pay close attention yeah. to those things. They, they spare no expense. Um. But yeah, I mean, that's the, what's great about like, and that's another thing I, I realized when I was thinking about like, um, Blu-ray and like, there are now like 4K TVs coming out, mm-hmm. um, 
which basically quadruples the resolution of like a 1080. As a, like if you shoot a movie on digital, like if you shoot an HD film, like with a camera that shoots like 1080p, you shoot it like that, and no matter how the formats change in the future, like 4K televisions come out, or even higher, who knows, you will always only get a resolution of 1080 out of that footage that you shot. You can't upscale it. With film, you shoot it on film and you can digitize it and basically capture it into a computer at a resolution of 1080 for HD televisions. Or, and it will will look good. Or you can capture it at a resolution of like 4K and it will look even better because there's enough information on the film, on the actual physical thing to pull from. And you can actually get like even higher resolutions than that on film. After 4K, like the, how much your eye is really picking up, how much detail your eye is actually seeing Mm -hmm. when you compare them is like, becomes kind of like, you know, between like 4K and 10K, for instance, like you're probably not, your eye can't even pick up the difference. But I mean, that is one thing that's like, that is good about shooting things on film is that like, no matter what in the future, like you can always pull more information out of that physical frame, you know? And as you pull more, like you're getting it closer and closer to what it actually would look like being projected through on a film print, you know? Um, So yeah, I mean, I haven't seen like older films um, on Blu-ray. I'm especially curious about like how Criterion handles it. I would love to see Gone with the Wind in 4K. Hmm. Just the the techni- the Technicolor and everything. Like, yeah, like that's one thing. Like I have a um, a DVD copy of uh, Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. It's like a three disc kind of collection yeah. edition or whatever. Um, one of the special features on that was all about the restoration, and they were saying that like when they it showed like the the process of them like take you know copying photographing the film, digitizing it into the computer. And they had copied it back for this that DVD release, or that restoration anyway. They had brought it into the computer at 4K resolution, even though it was going to DVD. Blu-ray hadn't even wasn't even a thing at the time, and that was even before like HD TVs were really like the norm. Yeah, the prevalent. So like even then, like they're able to be like, oh well, we have this the 4K files of the film stored you know for the future because that's a movie that it's like you know is going to be released over and over again for for all time yeah i mean that's that's really cool i bet like and with criterion i bet like they you know they do a similar thing where it's like we have all the elements stored so that they can just kind of so that every few years the they can reissue the same <laughs> movies over yep. and over <laughs> and we can, people like us can buy them over and over uh... again I mean, that's, you know, partly just the way that technology works, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be something bigger and better. And that's partly why I, I held up. I was like, maybe I'll just skip Blu-ray altogether. Wait till the next best thing. But, I don't know. I, I You know, I was Christmas shopping this year, and I'm looking and I'm just seeing so many cheap Blu-rays. Being like, holy crap, like, there's bins full of $5 Blu-rays or $7 Blu-rays and, like, box sets for, like, 20 bucks 30 bucks i'm just like damn 
So yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, John Carter. <laughs> what about John Carter? He's on Mars. John Carter must die. Wait a minute. Is that a movie? No, it's John Tucker must die. John Tucker. Right, okay. <laughs> uh. The movie mashup we've all been waiting for. John Carter goes to Mars and starts dating three different girls in his high school. <laughs> <laughs> John Carter goes to Martian high school. Like, we're sorry, you can't be king of Mars unless you have a high school diploma. <laughs> you must go to our Martian high school. Um... Yeah, so Oscar time is uh, it's it's upon us, and um, some you said so, something. Uh, there was a development with the uh, best song nominations. Yeah, um, Tim had suggested that maybe in this in the next month, uh, as we talk about the Oscar nominated films for best picture, maybe one of these episodes we'll discuss the. Uh, this the the um nominations for best song it's a category that i rarely know anything about until the night of the oscars right and usually they perform it on stage or like yeah. do something. although they don't anymore but they used to and it used to be not it used to be like a nice part of the thing but now they're like oh we gotta speed it up and it's like why cut the other crap I there's a know. lot of crap yeah i think it should the the ceremony should focus more on like the nominated stuff instead of like all this extra kind of bullshit yeah like there was one, i think it might have been last year where the people who were producing the oscars that year were the people who had produced chicago and they were doing like a tribute to musicals right but they just did like chicago and like dream girls and moulin rouge <laughs> and <laughs> And it was like, none of this needs to be happening yeah, right now. Yeah, seriously. Like, if you're going to do tribute to musicals, maybe do, like, all the... Don't just do, like, oh, the past, like, decade or whatever. Or, well, not even the past this century. You know, like, go from, like, the beginning Bugsby on or Berkeley something. And yeah. Um, but it just seemed so, like... Clearly, they were just promoting themselves because it was mm. like stuff that they had worked on, and, which ties yeah. into what I'm about to say, actually. All right. Um, so Tim suggested we take a look at the at the five songs nominated for best song. Yeah. Um, as of yesterday, I think uh, the Academy announced that one of those nominations has been rescinded. Um, the song was called "Alone Yet Not Alone." from the film called Alone Yet Not oh, Alone. I only had heard of that movie because of that nomination. Right. Do you know anything about the movie? I watched the trailer on YouTube and I was and horrified. You were, <laughs> and you were like, this movie got nominated for like, an what Oscar? Is this? This, is, this didn't even seem like a real movie. It seemed yeah. like just... Uh. Bargain bin trash. Yeah. Essentially. Like, you see the poster on Wikipedia and you're just like, is this horribly photoshopped? Like, like what the fuck? Like, it looks like... But I didn't hear the song, and for all I know, the song was amazing, so... I'll spare you the expense. It's not. And it's basically, like, a overly sappy, sentimental, like, uh, Christian prayer song. Well, that's what the movie looked like, yes. so, yeah. Yes, I assumed that would be the subject matter, but I thought, like, musically, maybe the song would... 
No, uh, it's really like it's really cheesy and lame. Um, so many people uh, who were covering the Oscar, uh, you know, nominations, many news outlets and stuff, were like, "Oh yeah, there's these songs." And what's this movie? You know, <laughs> like no one's ever heard of this movie before. Yeah. Everyone who looks into the movie is like, "What the? F- where did this come from? How did this get any sort of attention?" Um, come to find out, <laughs> the composer of the song currently sits on the the board of chairmen's uh who oversees the oscar nomination he's like he was and he was previously a head governor of the whole academy um and he sits on he's like a he sits on the on the board of chairmen's and so essentially what happened is like they say that he improperly promoted the uh, people within the academy other members of the of the board to nominate his song um so basically he was like hey (laughs) remember when i was your boss like yeah you should nominate my song so that's how that got in there I'm curious. I'm still gonna listen to the song at some point because I'm very curious about it. <laughs> Let's take a listen right now. When my steps are lost and desperate for a guide, I can feel his touch, a soothing presence by my side. By yeah, let's not listen to it. <laughs> that was horrible. So that means that we only have four songs to do. So how about this? How about each episode we look at one song? And that's the whole episode. None of this movie crap. <laughs> yeah. We just do, from now on, it's just music. <laughs> Talking movie songs with Max and Tim. <laughs> Next week, you got a friend in me. <laughs> you got a friend in me. <laughs> oh, that's a great uh, song, though. Yeah. I could talk about that song. <laughs> Makes me cry. I watched uh, "Love Is a Many Splendored Thing" for the first time today, which was not a good movie because it, it was nominated for Best Picture, which is the reason I watched it. Um, but the song, the like, that's like the one thing everybody remembers about the movie. It's a decent song musically until like at the very end when there's lyrics. It's just god awful, but um, the tune is not. I mean, like you know, you hear the tune all the time. Like you know, the song, you'd know it if you heard it. The tune, at least. It's like love is a many splendored thing. Mm, I, yeah. think I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But um. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Just talking about famous songs that reminded me of that movie earlier. Don't watch that movie. It's, there's no reason to watch that movie. Unless you're like an Oscar completist. Or like. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's got to suck for the people involved with that song. Like the, the there's a woman who sang it. Mm. And like, you know, the, the people who actually like recorded on the song, they're like, holy crap, like we're nominated for an Oscar. 
And then it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> and they're like, all their all their Oscar dreams are dashed. Imagine if like that one, and it starts like you know playing in the <laughs> theater, and everyone's just like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> so what what are the nominees now? Like what are the? Uh, I know there's one from probably one Frozen. from Frozen. Oh, I think there's two from Frozen actually. I know that one of them is um, my uh, my advisor from when I went to purchase. Uh, she put something up on Facebook about like I guess her daughter won't. Her daughter's like five or six she won't stop singing that song and i guess it's getting to her i have uh, the thing about doing this song thing is like i haven't seen like frozen and i don't want to like listen to the songs before i see the movie let's go see frozen it's six bucks i want to see frozen i heard really good things about it you work on tuesday <laughs> yes i am i work every tuesday well i'll go i'll go watch it i'll describe it to you in detail you don't no. have to see it <laughs> like that's one thing like i, I like I know that there are people who like get really into like show tunes and like that kind of stuff and they'll download or like not download, but they'll buy like the, the album yeah. before they go see the show and they like learn all the songs and stuff. It's just a weird thing to me. And there's a sing along frozen now. Um, you could, like I saw at Bowtie cinema, they were and Crossgates also, I guess it's like all everywhere. You can go see frozen but you also have the option of going to see Sing Along Frozen. Wait, in theaters? Yeah. So with, like, lyrics on the screen that you can, like, sing along to? I'm assuming. Like, I don't... <laughs> it just seems odd. Like, like, that seems like something that would be a special feature on a DVD. Like, I think some of my Disney movies actually have that feature where it's, like, in Lion King you can have, like, you know... Oh, I just can't wait to be king. Like, you know, the bouncing ball. <laughs> Um, okay, so I've got the list of the <laughs> nominated songs. Okay, go on. Tim just told a really dirty story that I had to cut out. It's pretty juicy, too. Um, okay, so we've got um, Happy from Despicable Me 2 by Pharrell Williams. Oh. Who I just knew was a person from the... Uh, N.E.R.D.? Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, the Grammys that just happened. I actually watched the Grammys this year. Or some of them, anyway. Which is really weird, because I usually never watch the Grammys. But I was interested to see the uh, Paul McCartney-Ringo Starr reunion. That happened. And, you know, it was pretty much what you'd expect. Paul played a song, Ringo played the drums. <laughs> that was that. Um, but anyway, yeah, Pharrell Williams... Uh, he was on the uh, Daft Punk album, that one best album or album of the year, whatever, whatever the uh, whatever that award is called. That's cool. I used to like Daft Punk. I don't not like them now. I just haven't heard them since like 2001. I had never given them any thought until this uh, the the Grammys happened and they won, and I was like, you know, I heard their popular songs you know their hits and i just thought that they were just sort of like glorified djs um, not a fan of techno music i take it i mean I'm, I'm not a fan of like the whole kind of like house music kind of thing like it's like that sort of thing is fine like while you're dancing but like 
I do like more of their like song songs. Not like while you're their, just like hanging out, you know. Like stuff I mean? like like one more time and digital love. See, I don't know any of that stuff. But I went what really got me curious about it was at the Grammys they Daft Punk won and they went up and like they were listing the credits on the album and I saw like Panda Bear from uh, Animal Collective and Paul Williams, the composer, who um, wrote a lot of the songs with the Muppets, like Rainbow Connection, and um, pretty much all, all of the... He wrote all the songs for a Muppet movie, and like Muppet Takes Manhattan, and Emma Otter's Jug Band Christmas. And he was Virgil in Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Really? Yep. I didn't know that. That's a series I want to get on Blu-ray. I'm looking at the set online. I got oh, this. okay. I thought you meant like that one movie. I'm like, <laughs> that's it's like of the whole series, like that's the least like. No, I want to. There's a box pleasing. set that I want to get. Okay. Because I got this trash can, and I was like, "Ooh, Planet of the Apes. I want to watch some Planet of the Apes." Anyway, um, yeah, Paul Williams actually accepted the award on behalf of of the uh, of the duo because they're you they're know, robots. They're robots, and yeah. they don't talk. So he was up there, and he was like, you know yeah the robots wanted me to say this and i'm like what does he have to do with this so i looked it up and like there's a song that he like wrote the lyrics for and sings on this album uh uh random access memories and so i went on youtube and i listened to the song and i was like wow this is like really good and uh i went and i listened to the whole album um and i've listened to it like three or four times now since the grammys and it's awesome I love it. So, yeah, I mean, Daft Punk is pretty great. Their sec- I dig it. Their second album came with like a little like card that was like a uh, fan club membership. And I remember um, when I first met Kellen Wilson, we 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 like bonded over like we both had those cards in our wallets. Oh, I see. We're like, oh, you're in the Daft. I'm in the Daft Club. It's weird how you went to college with Kellen Wilson and I went to college with Kellen Wilson. He went to Full Sail? Yeah. He was uh, in my class the entire time I was there. I don't think he graduated from Purchase. I think he left because he got a job, like, doing lighting or something. No, he was into the whole lighting thing. He had, like, even in his house, he had all these crazy party lights set up and stuff. Um, but, yeah, it was so random. Like, Chris and I went there. And, like, this is in Florida. Like, and we're out of a class of 100 students, you know, and we're meeting everyone for the first time. And Kellen's there. And it's just like, what are you doing here? And it's like, I'm going to school. I'm going in the program like this month and like we're in the program this month how like random is that like he was he we graduated high school then he went to like randomly to your college with Nate and Ryan Fitzgerald and and they, so like you know Nate and him became like you know more friends and stuff and then randomly like he's in our class it's just like I don't know it's really weird anyway Oh, yeah, there are other nominees, aren't there? Yes. <laughs> Let It Go from Frozen. The Moon Song from Her by Karen O. and Spike Jones. Ordinary Love from Mandela. Long Walk to Freedom. Which has music by U2. And then Alone Yet Not Alone was rescinded so we're not gonna pay that any mind so yeah i i haven't seen any of these movies what 
the Mandela movie like disappeared quickly. I think like, I saw it came out. Like, I saw it on DVD. Um, already? Yeah, when I was yeah. in Walmart, I saw. Oh, I mean, I saw it in the store. I didn't watch it, but. Well, when did uh, when did he die? It uh, was. Uh, I think you. A couple weeks ago, or a few months ago. Or... You. I think you played Putnam Den that night, or that the day after. Like within twenty four hours of him dying, you played a show at Putnam Den. Because oh. like, I found out that night people were telling me about it. Hmm. And I I was like, oh, I thought he already died. <laughs> yeah, well... But you know, it's great. I I thought it would be great for the people who made the movie that he. Died. Oh yeah, I mean, because like but you're, it you're the producer should make that movie, and you're like, oh man, he died. Like that, that's <laughs> awful. We just made a movie about him, actually. <laughs> oh man, that's ah, oh, that's terrible. You want to see the movie? It's real. Oh man, he was a, a legendary, amazing man. We made a we made a movie about yeah, him. Was, give, me, give me some money. Watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think it did well, or at least the impression is it didn't do well, because they didn't seem to be in theaters for that long, but you can't really tell by that. Yeah. As you know, I mean, a movie that gets promoted like crazy and is huge and you see it everywhere could make no money. Yeah. And a movie that is like small budget in a couple theaters or like, I mean, the limited run, like can make a lot of money. It, you know, you never know. Um. But yeah, I haven't heard any buzz around the movie or anything like that. But yeah, I guess we'll listen to those songs, and I want to see her. I'm probably gonna see that on Tuesday. I want to see it on Tuesday. Well, you can't. I think I'm gonna see that and uh, Dallas Buyers Club and The Wolf of Wall Street. Wow, you're really catching up quick here. And then after. After that, all I've got left is Captain Phillips, which is on DVD, and um, I want to see Gravity. Gravity in 3D, but I figured since you wanted to see it in 3D, I'd try and wait for a time when like we could both go. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately, couldn't do it today. We had to go to the studio and meet with the fire marshal. Finally put that to bed, thank God. That's been ongoing since November. And it took like two minutes. Yeah, and it was just like, <laughs> yep, everything looks good in here. Just move that desk a little bit and uh, we'll check on that light bulb that's Thing, hanging yeah. or something. But. So, so what are we going to talk about next week? We're starting our Oscar month. <clears throat> what are we going to start with? There, There isn't a movie that both of us have seen so far. Which ones have you, you seen? Captain Phillips? I've seen Captain and... Phillips and Gravity. Oh, okay. So... <laughs> and... Starting on Friday, Amy's Dinner and Movie is going to have uh, Philomena and American Hustle. I've seen both of those. So I'll I'll get the chance to watch at least one of those over the weekend, probably. So, yeah, one, uh, one of those will do. All right. That sounds good. Or we could... If you get a chance to see both of them, we'll we just get, talk about right, both of them. Right, because, yeah, we want to maybe uh, try... If we want to hit all of the nominees, there are nine of them. Yeah, we can, we can double them up. 
Two movies and a song each week. Double up. Uh, uh. <laughs> Sorry. That's the song we're going to end the show with. Because <laughs> there are no good songs from John Carter. Though the music in John Carter was really good. I did I did like the music. It was sweeping. Like it was, I don't know. What, what was the guy's name? You recognized it. Michael Giacchino. Yeah, I, yeah. I heard that there are parts of the score that I was like, this sounds like Michael Giacchino. He, uh, he works with J.J. Abrams a lot. He did the two uh, Star Trek movies and the entire series of Lost. Um, as well as some uh, Pixar stuff, which is probably how that all happened, how we got this gig. I forget which Pixar. I think The Incredibles. Yeah, definitely The Incredibles. I have not seen it. Um, it's good. It's really good. Um, I haven't seen a lot of those. I haven't seen Up or Wally. There, those are all really good. I haven't seen the Toy Story sequels. Those are also really good. Pixar month. <laughs> Yay. Let's have some fun. Let's watch good, fun movies. <laughs> Instead of Cutthroat Island and Deliverance. Once we get done with Oscar month and then David Lynch month and then Reese Witherspoon month, then we'll do <laughs> Pixar. What four movies would you want to watch in Reese Witherspoon month? I'm not a fan of her now because of the whole incident with the whole, like, don't you know who I am? Um, I And until that day, I really liked her. And it pissed me off that she's just one of those people. What, <laughs> four, what four essential Reese Witherspoon movies would you say? Oh, uh, man. Well. <laughs> if you had to pick, you know, I know I understand, you know, you, there's a lot of really great ones to choose from. I mean, it makes sense to start at the beginning with Man in the Moon, but I don't think it's that great of a movie, so no. That um, was her first movie? I don't know if it was her first movie, but it was... Um, that's the one people like knew her from, because she was like 12 or something in that. Wait a minute. Man in the Moon, man not in... Man on the Moon. Okay. Not the Jim Carrey, Andy Kaufman movie. Okay, yes, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, she was 12 in that? <laughs> Um, I don't know, Freeway, uh, Election, uh, How Do You Know, Legally Blonde, there's four right there, those are, those are, those are good. I haven't seen any of them. Maybe that's why I don't take Reese Witherspoon seriously. I mean, we really don't need to do a re- I was kind of joking when I said Reese Witherspoon, <laughs> but I mean, if we ever did. Well, it's a reality, no, no, All right. no, well, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Walk the Line. Um, I suppose that's that's what she got her her little statue for. She won an Oscar, didn't she? Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there was anything else I wanted to mention. Um, I uh, oh yeah, you me- <laughs> this is really random. <laughs> oh, we mentioned uh, Man on the Moon. Yeah. And I realized when I was organizing my DVDs a few weeks ago. Uh, Milos Forman, the director of that. Right. <laughs> I just realized that, like, Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito, and Jim Carrey were all Batman villains. The Joker, the Penguin, and the Riddler. Yeah. And he directed One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which has Jack Nicholson and Danny DeVito. So you've got the Joker and the Penguin there. And then Man on the Moon, which has the Penguin and the Riddler. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> oh was there any and i was like did, did he work did he ever work with like tommy lee jones 
or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now I'm just trying to think of like all the Batman villains and Milos Forman films. There's nobody in Amadeus, is there? I don't know. It'd be weird to like to go through and say, "Oh my god, every single movie has one villain." Yeah, it would just be weird because I mean, I I don't know. It's just weird thinking that like there are two actors in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest who went on to be Batman villains. This is strange. This strange connection. Anyway, so next week we'll try to do. I'll try to watch American Hustle and Philomena, and we'll talk about both of those. We should talk about some uh, recent um, film-related events. like um, Right now or next week? Probably next week at this point, because I feel like it might get into a whole thing. Yeah. Um, I've been meaning... I wanted to bring it up last week, and I just forgot. Uh, oh, crap. What, what were they? The Tarantino thing? Yes, the Tarantino thing and the shooting in Florida. What was the shooting in Florida? Uh, somebody was texting during a movie. Oh. So they got shot, and now everybody's pissed at the shooter. I but mean, the guy that... was texting during a movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm not. I'm kidding. Um, We've all been there, right? <laughs> Where you wish you had your handgun. Fortunately, it was a retired cop, so he had his handgun on him at all times. Wow. He, sh- he and like the guy who was texting. Well, the, the retired cop said, "Like, can you please stop that? I'm trying to watch the movie." That's how it started. It escalated <laughs> clearly. Um, the guy's defense was, "I'm texting my three-year-old kid," which you know, think about that. Why would you be texting a three-year-old? Like, are we at that point now in our society where three-year-olds are receiving text messages? Do they have their own phone? like three years old like that's probably like the mother is like showing like you know oh look what daddy says no that way he was there with his wife well then it's babysitter maybe why they're in a movie (laughs) what could they possibly have been texting the kid we love you the phone should have been off or airplane mode i mean that's definitely correct yeah but i'm not saying he should have gotten shot i'm just saying he shouldn't have been texting did he die? Yes. He was killed. His oh, wife, man. when the guy pulled the gun out and went to shoot him, his wife, like, wrapped her arms around her husband, like, to shield him from the bullet, and the bullet went through her hand and into him. This is an awful story, Tim. Yeah, it is. And you know what? This guy got killed, and people are still going to be texting during movies. Like, what? Like that? That's what I don't understand about people who are like, oh, well, capital punishment. You know, if we if we execute murderers, it will deter other people from committing murder. No. Yeah. Because people are still gonna text in the fucking movie theater, no many, no matter how many of them get shot. This people, is not the and, first time this has happened. And people are still gonna fucking kill people for no reason. Yeah. Well, that's one thing. <laughs> you know, you go kill people. Maybe you've got some like issues and there's a history to that and you have a reason to kill them there's no reason to text during a movie My God. <laughs> <laughs> we take films very seriously here on talking movies thank you for joining us <laughs> i've also had it with all those old people clearing their throats what the hell <laughs> 
no i mean like i i see like as a as a projectionist at, at amy's i do see some weird stuff sometimes like people taking pictures of themselves like in the movie theater like the movie starts and then they're like you know oh, okay gather on and they have like the flash on and it's like Ching! they're like we're watching the movie or like they'll take pictures of like their kids like watching the movie and it's just like there are other people there like you're flashing a camera flash in the theater like stop it that's one of several reasons why i don't go to um regal at aviation mall anymore because like i never saw anybody taking pictures but the last few times i went there it seemed like everybody was pretty just open about the fact that they were gonna use their phone at some point they might answer a call they might text but like there was a lot of just general conversation happening and like i i don't know what it is about like that theater but that is really weird i mean i i understand more like the mindset going into amy's because it is like it's the mix between like oh you're used to being at a restaurant right sitting down at a table eating your meal talking like you know being social with each other but at the same time you're like oh i'm watching a movie like which familiarity you know takes yeah. precedent i guess and so sometimes people like act more like they're in a in a restaurant than they are in a movie theater and it can be weird sometimes like you're watching a movie and like somebody comes up to you and says like do you want to refill on your drink and like your impulse is to be like i'm watching a movie stop <laughs> yeah, talking like, to me and then you're the like home. oh wait yeah that's your job oh thank you yes please yeah like no, it is a weird clashing between worlds where you're like, you know, you don't exactly know what to do at the moment. Especially if something dramatic is going on when mm-hmm. you're offered a refill. <laughs> like someone's just died and then like, what's more soda? Like someone was just shot in the movie theater for texting. <laughs> <laughs> something, something that dramatic. Um, anyway, on that note, thank you for joining us another exciting episode of talking movies i'm max i'm tim and we'll see you next time